Welcome to the Stone Conversation Podcast, covering everything to do with buying, selling and investing in real estate. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just wanting to start out, Stone Conversations will bring you content to inspire and inform you on your journey. Good morning all, welcome to the show. Um, Today, we have the pleasure again of having Tim Lawless. Tim is Head of Research for CoreLogic Asia Pacific. Today, we're chatting with Tim about their recent September report, where they see the state of the property market from their statistics, and possibly delve into what Tim's thoughts might be going forward over the next six months. Of course, that's always hard to know. But welcome to the show, Tim. Thanks, Peter. Good, good to be here again. Now, Tim, as we were saying, you're you're up in Queensland, I think, at the moment, but it's not it's not as sunny today, apparently, as normal. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a rarity. It feels like Melbourne at the moment. It's uh, yeah, that's. Um a bit of a break in the weather would be nice to, to get out and, and endorse my fishing habit, but uh, not happening at the moment. It's wet and windy. Well, us Sydney siders won't feel too bad then not being allowed to come up since it's sunny in Sydney, but <laughs> we will be up there eventually. Um, Tim, with your recent report, there was some interesting stats there I was having a look through yesterday, uh, September, and obviously for a lot of people that may not be aware because no one reads these reports every day, um, we, we noticed that some of the volumes are up in sort of, I think it was oh, June, July, certainly, or May, um, and we noticed that through our business, and then obviously it was a little bit slower in August from the volumes. Um, we're seeing just in our business volumes coming up, but I noticed nationally um, it's sort of a little bit slower than last year, but we might just kick off with that and talk about what's what you're seeing happening over the last sort of month um, around volumes coming onto the market and where you sort of see it going this spring. Yeah, the, the, the volume story has been very volatile. So just a, a bit of context on that, through through late March and then and through all of April, we saw activity across the Australian housing market uh, plummeted. It just uh, it didn't stop, but, but we saw activity fall by about a third across the country. It was down about 40% in, in Melbourne and Sydney, uh, a little bit less than that in markets like Brisbane. But it really highlighted that uh, as we as we, I suppose, work through the initial shock of, of COVID and uh, the initial round of, of border closures and social distancing policies being implemented, the market did uh, was disrupted quite significantly. But almost immediately as we started to see a lot of those restrictions being lifted or relaxed, we started to see listings bouncing back into the market and we saw sales activity bouncing back as well. In fact, by, by the end of June, We'd seen listing numbers get about to, to normal levels, about where they were at the same time a year ago, and transactional activity had got back to where it was roughly pre-COVID. So we saw the market getting back to normal very quickly. But then, of course, as we moved through August, we started to see the impact of uh, what was happening in Victoria, slowing down consumer confidence or denting consumer confidence, not just in Victoria, but all around the country, I think uh, a lot of households probably had in the back of their minds that uh, uh, what happened, what would happen if, if they, they saw a virus outbreak in their own community and would that result in similar closures is what was happening across Melbourne and then and, uh, more broadly across Victoria. So we did see a bit of transaction activity coming through August, but it looks like already as we see uh, uh, the, the market evolving through September, We've already seen confidence bouncing back to pre-COVID levels once again. It's very volatile, uh, isn't not, it? Yeah, yeah, it's very volatile, and, and it just highlights how fickle uh, consumers or households are at the moment. Maybe fickle is the wrong word, just uh, a little bit jumpy, and that's best to be understandable. But of course, housing activity 
is very much intertwined with consumer confidence. And uh, understandably, if consumers feel a little bit uh, doubtful about their household balance sheets or their ability to hold a job, they're not going to make high commitment decisions, which is what buying or selling a home is all about. So the improvement in confidence is very good news for the housing market. What do you see coming up now? Obviously, we're also talking volumes nationally from your reporter down or, or similar to last year. Maybe we could just talk a little bit about that for our listeners. Yeah, well, last year is a, is a rel- relatively low benchmark to be using. So if you remember this time last year, or at least coming into uh, the middle of last year, was when the market was just starting to show signs of emerging from a two-year slump between the middle of 2017 and the middle of 2019, nationally housing values fell by around 10%. Uh, they were down about 15% across Sydney, about 11% in Melbourne, less in the other markets. Uh, and we also saw activity very low at the time of the year. So comparing back to last year, it's still a relatively low benchmark. It's still useful. But uh, probably a better benchmark is to look at, say, the five-year average uh, or even a 10-year average. And we can still see that even though activity has bounced back, it's still generally tracking below average, which I think is still a pretty good outcome when we consider that we're moving through this unprecedented level of uncertainty induced by the pandemic. I think uh, um, I certainly wouldn't wouldn't have expected that the housing market had had bounced back so quickly after being disrupted so significantly through through March and April. It's interesting from um, I guess the investors' point of view, and they're looking to chase yield and they're looking for returns. Um, and if you are not an avid share investor, property and you're passionate about property, I get a lot of inquiries still coming in. People are jumping back in the market looking to invest. Not how you're. How are you seeing that nationally though? From investment, is it is it down? Is it is it up? What's the interest level? The best way, as an analyst at least, to gauge investment levels is to look at how much mortgage activity is taking place uh, for investment and investment purposes. And we saw an update from the Australian Bureau of Statistics come out uh, um, early this week, and it showed that investors were still tracking around record lows. They, they only comprised around 24, 25% of mortgage demand. Normally, you'd expect investors to be about a third of the market. That's, that's the long-term average. Or even back in, say, 2015, investors were getting up, up around a 60% uh, of mortgage demand across New South Wales. So broadly, investors still remain quite uh, inactive, at least um, proportionally compared to where they normally would be. But the segment of the marketplace that we're seeing much more active than normal is first-home buyers. And quite often those two segments, first home buyers and investors, are very competitive against each other. So I think first home buyers are probably relishing uh, the fact that investors aren't as active as normal, but they're also taking advantage, of course, the fact that interest rates are so extremely low and they can aggregate a lot of different stimulus measures uh, together aimed at first home buyers, be it stamp duty concessions, uh, your 5% deposit guarantee, your first home buyers grants, uh, you've got the building boost, of course, on, on top of that as well. So there's a lot of stimulus measures there that first home buyers are taking advantage of. And in some areas, that can equate to more than, say, thirty dollars or $40,000 leg up into the market. Yeah, it certainly has been interesting. And I think that, well, and we're certainly not giving investment advice. But I guess, uh, and from many books that I read, obviously, the uh, same with the share market, the hardened investors, let's just say, or the experienced ones, tend to jump in whenever people fear to tread. So it is... I, I should say to that, the people, a lot of investors we are talking to are not first-time investors. So they're sort of going, oh, 
there's an opportunity here. <laughs> Maybe there's less competition we'll buy. Uh, but it certainly has been different in every area that we operate in. You know, some areas, if I talk about Manly, I haven't seen that much of a downturn. Actually, most properties there are only lasting, you know, 10 days, 12 days with us on the market. Other areas take a lot longer. Um, I was looking at through your report too, the, there's a section there talking about the risk of negative equity and you've mentioned there it's been somewhat mitigated um, since mid-19 because we had an upswing there and we've, it's come off a bit. Maybe we could just talk about that over the year for our listeners, um, where it's gone yeah. and where it is. Yeah, I mean, ne- negative equity is always a risk when you move through a housing downturn. Keeping in mind that uh, um, it's, at least in Australia, uh, a high precedence or a high level of negative equity has always been been a, a relative rarity simply because most homeowners or most purchasers have at least a 20% deposit. It's only a small proportion that don't. So you need to see housing values fall quite materially before um, a large portion of households would be in a negative equity situation. But even just looking over the past 12 months, even though we've seen some downwards pressure on housing values uh, through the COVID period, which now seems to be stabilising to some extent, we're still seeing Sydney housing prices, for example, nearly 10% higher than what they were a year ago. They're up 9.8%. That's taking into account. Prices, that's taking into account the slight downturn that we've had as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all of that growth happened between the middle of 2019 and and before March of this year. But uh, it just highlights that most households still have a pretty decent buffer in uh, in the level of equity or the level of wealth they've already built up in their housing. So it's only those people that would have purchased um, just recently that uh, that are probably seeing some signs that, the, that their home value is worth less now than what they actually paid for it. And and through your report, which again it's very interesting, it's showing in the different bands of the property market, whether it's the lower band or the higher band. I noticed there, I think you're mentioning in the 70th percentile that that's maybe down about three percent, was it? But then in the lower part, it's only 0.25. That was for Sydney, I think. Yeah, yeah, this is fascinating. It's typically that, that top quartile or the most expensive quarter of the marketplace that leads the, the upswing uh, as well as the downturn. So it's, it's a good barometer of where the market's heading. Uh, so we, we have seen across Sydney, for example, that top quartile of the market down about 3% since March through to the end of August, whereas the lower, lower quartile or the most affordable quarter of the market is only down by 0.2%. It's virtually flat. So part of that, I think, is, is explained by the cyclical factors, that it was that, that more expensive end of the marketplace that well and truly led the upswing through the middle of last year and into, into March. But also that, that bottom of the market, the more affordable end of the market, has been very much more supported by first home buyer activity, uh, uh, as well as people more now willing to buy into, say, the outer fringes of the capital city metro areas and also buying into some of the, the regional fringing markets. You know, markets like um, Newcastle or Wollongong, either side of, of Sydney or the Southern Highlands, um, Geelong, Ballarat, Bendigo, outside of Melbourne or the Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast have all really um, uh, quite substantially outperformed compared to their capital city counterparts, highlighting that people are now willing to, to be a little bit more distant from, from the major working centres. It's very true. We're, we're noticing the same thing from our regional offices again, like Wollongong and Barrel and, and, and up on the Gold Coast, Palm Beach there, those areas... Even Victoria, like Mornington, I was speaking to our Lauren down there the other day, they're getting quite an upsurge in inquiry. A bit hard to get into Mornington at the moment, but they are talking online. Um, and certainly even even in Camden, people are looking for a bit more space. And I think it's they've all adapted to accepting that we can Zoom for meetings now. It's an acceptable thing. We don't have to feel bad if we don't turn up in person. 
Yeah, that's been one of the biggest barriers for people buying into uh, the outer fringes of, of capital city housing markets, or for that matter, some of the, the regional lifestyle markets that are still close to the capitals, has been the commuting time or the loss in productivity in, in traveling between that location and in the major working centers, or a fact that a lot of these regional markets don't have great public transport back into the major working nodes either. So more people that uh, are able to work from home or work remotely and hopefully this is a, is a positive legacy of COVID, is there's some permanency in that, it's it's knocking down one of those biggest barriers to buying into these, um, these markets that are located further away from the city that also tend to offer up much more affordable price points. Quite often they have a lifestyle advantage as well if you're close to the water or you have a um, wide open spaces. And I think underlying this also, there is this uh, um, this new level of demand to live in a low density environment. I think people have become a little bit less willing to... Uh, to be in a higher density environment simply due to uh, the risk of, of, uh, of a virus outbreak. It's sort of true. You're probably seeing that in some of the inner city, large apartment blocks, <coughs> maybe not faring as well price-wise as how, jumping back to some houses. That's what we're seeing anyway. I don't, how are you seeing that nationally? Yeah, that is a trend we're seeing mostly across Melbourne and Sydney to a lesser extent in Brisbane CBD. And there's, there's a whole bunch of factors contributing to that. It's not just, I think, a, a lack of um, desire to live in a, in a, in a high-density situation, though I think that's part of it. There's also, on the supply side, we've had this, this recent history of a real surge in high-rise, uh, what you probably describe as investment-grade style construction projects, um, which is really added to overall rental supply. But then on the demand side, we've seen rental demand being impacted by stalled migration, you know, about 85% of migrants in Australia go into Sydney or Melbourne, and most of those people would be renting. Uh, so there's been a real hit to rental demand, which has been compounded by the fact that a lot of uh, um, uh, domestic renters tend to be in, say, their hospitality services or arts and recreational services, where they've had a, an impact to their incomes or their employment, and domestic students are generally studying from home, not uni. So overall, that, that impact to demand for rentals has been significant uh, on top of already uh, um, significant supply issues. And that, of course, has a flow-on effect to uh, bringing down rents, bringing down yields, and making those, those markets less attractive for investors. Maybe just on the rental bit, we might just explore that a bit more. Can you talk us through some of the numbers there and, and what maybe some of the cities have fallen by and how the, how the yields are now faring? Well, rental markets are quite fragmented at the moment. Uh, you know, generally, we, we have seen the number of rental listings across Australia has actually been tightening. There's, there's fewer properties available for rent now than there were pre-COVID. But uh, if you start looking at the geographical context and across the different product types, we can see that house rents, for example, are much more uh, stable than unit rents. It probably goes back to the conversation we just had about inner city apartments there having higher vacancy rates. So nationally, we've seen house values hold firm uh, since March. So between March and the end of August, uh, house rents have, have just uh, not moved, whereas unit rents are down by nearly 3%. But then if you look at Sydney and Melbourne and Hobart really stands out as well, unit rents are down by more than 4% over that same time frame. So it really highlights that I think for renters, uh, if you're in, in inner city apartment market uh, and you're a renter, there's probably some good opportunities there to be negotiating on your rent. Uh, but if you're in a, a middle ring or an outer ring detached housing market, they're actually pretty tight rental markets. We've also seen a lot of reports coming out of some of the uh, 
again, the outer, outer fringe markets or the outer coastal markets, you know, the Mornington Peninsula is a good example, or the Central Coast in New South Wales, those rental markets seem to be extremely tight, probably being uh, um, uh, tightened by the fact there hasn't been a lot of new supply introduced to those areas, but also we are seeing more demand flying into those, uh, those more distant markets from the CBD. What are you seeing from mortgage approvals? Well, the mortgage approvals data is uh, it's a little bit lagged, actually, uh, rather than, than leading, simply because it, it isn't published um, uh, until six weeks after the event. So it tends to be uh, um, a little bit of a lagging indicator. But what we see in, in the, the data is up to July currently, you can see that uh, through June and July, there was an absolute surge in the value of mortgage commitments. Uh, if you're excluding refis, because refi, re- refinanced loans have also surged higher as well. Uh, so we, we generally strip out the effect of refinance loans. And we can see that through June and July, uh, it, the, the, the month-on-month change in the value of new mortgage commitments actually hit a record high. Coming out of record lows, of course, uh, um, through April and, and then a carryover through May as well. So we're now seeing the value of home loans being committed to uh, nationally is roughly where it was back in February, so pre-COVID. And in some markets like Queensland, uh, we're seeing the value of mortgage commitments now as high, uh, the highest is what it's been since uh, the early 2000s, particularly for owner-occupiers. So I think um, we are seeing a lot more mortgage activity now, particularly, as I mentioned before, being driven by first home buyers, not by investors, uh, and also by, by upgraders and downsizers. And also we're starting to see that surge in refinancing activity really highlights that lenders have become extremely competitive to not just to retain their, their current borrowers, but also to attract borrowers from other banks. It's really clear that we are on this, uh, what, lo- what looks like a consistent upwards trajectory in the amount of activity across the marketplace. Uh, that also lines up with the improvement in consumer sentiment, which, uh, which has, has a strong correlation with market activity. So it's no surprise to see that also being reflected in the Australian Bureau of Statistics housing finance data, even though that's that's a little bit old because it's, it's delayed by about six weeks. That data showed an absolute surge in the value of mortgage commitments through June and July. Uh, so actually, month-on-month changes being unprecedented levels. It's certainly been a roller coaster, hasn't it, since, you know, let's say February, really, or March, right through to now. We've seen a whole swing of emotions and different reactions. Um, it's, it's anyone's guess what goes forward. I mean, of course, if you're in Victoria, it would be a very negative sentiment because I think I was looking at your auction numbers there. It's like down to 30 or 60 or something. I can't remember the number I saw compared to maybe 500 the same weekend a year ago. Was that right? Yeah. yeah well, well, Melbourne auctions last week, there was only about 24 auctions held and uh, the clearance rate was only about 33% because most of them were, were withdrawn before they, uh, before they actually went to auction. This week coming, uh, we're expecting there to only be around about 10 auctions held. Yeah. So I think um, the Melbourne auction market is, for all intents and purposes, has stopped. Yes. <laughs> um, vendors simply don't want to have an auction where they can't hold it on site. And, and how's that comparing? Obviously, and I was looking at some of your other stats too, Canberra seems to be faring fairly well. Um, and how's it also comparing in, in the auctions at Sydney and Brisbane as well? Yeah, so Canberra and, and Sydney both have, have reasonably large auction markets. Brisbane uh, generally sees a, a fairly low proportion of properties are sold by auction or are taken to auction in the first place. But in, in Sydney, we're now seeing the clearance rate holding up around the decade average. So around the mid-60% range is where it's held week in, week out since uh, about the middle of June. 
And we're also seeing the number of auctions being held across Sydney has been consistently rising as well. Uh, it's been tracking higher than a year ago since the middle of June as well. So really highlights the difference between you know, Sydney and, and Melbourne, very similar economies. They both have uh, very much services-based economies. They both have a large exposure to foreign uh, travel or, or migration. But it's uh, fundamentally different at the moment that we've seen Melbourne's auction market pretty much stop and Sydney's has been going from strength to strength. Canberra as well has been a very strong auction market and Canberra is the only capital city around the country where values are still at a record high. They absolutely haven't been impacted negatively at all uh, through this COVID period. Yeah, it's been very interesting. Maybe all the uh, <laughs> maybe they feel safe and secure of a government job. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a big part of it. And, and incomes are, are still very high across Canberra, and uh, there hasn't been as much job losses as, uh, as the other markets either. So before we wrap up, Tim, th- things going for obviously interest rates for the foreseeable future are going to be low, or we perceived them to be. Um, how do you see this is going to impact the property market over the next 12 to 18 months? And obviously it's <clears throat> relative to what happens with COVID, but any sort of thoughts there? There's, there's a few downside risks going ahead, but there's also a lot of upside as well, which will probably uh, work to balance each other out. From the downside, of course, we're now moving through a period where uh, a lot of the fiscal support will start to taper off. That, that happens from the end of September. And we'll see government support around, say, JobKeeper and JobSeeker will eventually uh, diminish from about $18 billion being spent a month down to about $3 billion. That's really going to test the market. At that time, we'll probably see unemployment maybe get a little bit higher. We'll probably see some, some other businesses going, going under, unfortunately. And it also coincides with a period when lenders have a six-month check-in with, uh, with distressed borrowers. And we're already seeing, uh, even just based on numbers up to July, that uh, a lot more distressed borrowers are now starting to go back onto their, their mortgage repayments in some, some shape or form as well, which is encouraging to see. So we should expect there is going to be some more distressed properties coming on the market as a result of that. Those, those borrowers who simply acknowledge that they probably won't be back in a position to, to start repaying the debt will be looking to offload their assets. Um, which, and if there's a lot of that, those style of properties, that could place some additional downward pressure on property prices. I think if that is the case, it'll be very gradual because we are seeing lenders working with uh, distressed borrowers um, uh, quite carefully. But on the upside, as you mentioned, Peter, there's still very low interest rates, in fact, record lows, and that's likely to persist until at least probably 2023 or so, that we don't expect there's going to be a rise in the cash rate um, over the next couple of years. Probably won't see a fall in the cash rate either. I think it's probably going to be on hold around this 25 basis point. Uh, level for some time now, which of course is going to continue to encourage and support buyer demand, particularly across those owner-occupier segments of the market. But we are seeing banks becoming a little bit more cautious around risk as well, and that that may have a a further dampening effect for some borrowers who simply can't get a loan because they might be in in an industry that's been more impacted by COVID, or they might have higher debt levels relative to um, the, the loan or their income as well, which banks are becoming a little bit more cautious about. Tim, it's been great to chat with you again. Um, maybe we can touch base in another few months when we get closer to the end of the year and see how these the spring period's gone. Um, for people that would like to get a copy of this report, uh, it's very detailed and you guys do an amazing job for the industry and for Australia every year. Um, where's, where's the easiest place to find it on your website? Yeah, just, just go to the news section of the CoreLogic website. It's uh, corelogic.com.au. Uh, it's freely available doesn't cost anything and uh, 
we put that report out on the first working day of every month and it gives a pretty good rundown on what's happening around the Australian housing markets. Well, I think it's great. Thank you so much, Tim, for your time. And uh, I hope the sun comes out again up there shortly, which I'm sure it will. <laughs> we can't be too smug in no, Sydney sure at the will. moment. <laughs> All right. Thanks, thanks for inviting me on the show again, Peter. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate your time. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us on the Stone Real Estate Conversation podcast. Make sure you visit us at stonerealestate.com.au. Now, if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcast player. While you're at it, if you found value in the podcast and the conversations on today's show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or simply make sure you tell a friend about the conversation we had. Be sure to join us on our next episode with more information on buying, selling and investing in real estate. Bye for now.